Welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, and hey, yeah, fascism, right? Uh, This week, holy shit. Uh, Anyway, uh, this week we're going to be talking about right-wing counter-protests to the Black Lives Matter and George Floyd protests uh, that have emerged throughout the United States. We're going to talk about Donald Trump's threat to categorize Antifa as a uh, terrorist organization. And we're going to do a little bit of a recap about the difference between a police state and fascism. So this is going to be a big, chunky one. So buckle up. All right, going to start out by talking about the right-wing counter-protests. Now, these counter-protests have turned out to not be quite as extensive uh, as one might have worried, uh, or at least as I did specifically, at least I know. Um, In response to the massive amount of unrest that has emerged in almost every major city in the United States and also several international cities, um, there have actually not been a massive amount of right-wing counter-protesters present, and the level of right-wing counter-violence, as far as I know, has been relatively minor. Um, There were a few incidents uh, of beatings and one death that I think is possibly attributable to right-wing counter-protesters, but given the level of intensity of these demonstrations, that's um, relatively low. Um, The people who need to be paid attention to, the people that you should be paying attention to as potential uh, emerging right-wing forces coming out of these protests uh, are a couple. Uh, One is somebody that we've talked about previously and also that other sources have talked about more extensively called the Boogaloo Boys. Um, Boogaloo, in this case, is an internet slang, you know, a sort of quasi-joke internet slang from 8chan and 4chan, those uh, racist anime anonymous forums. Um, And it is a, it's supposed to be a joke about uh, Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo, the movie. Uh, The idea is that Boogaloo, therefore, is a slang for the Second Civil War. Uh, These are people who want to bring about another civil war in the United States. Specifically, they want it to be a race war, um, and they see any kind of unrest as a potential uh, spark for that war. Uh, And so they show up and, you know, try to exacerbate the violence present in any protest or unrest. Uh, And they do that either by being uh, threatening uh, or by participating themselves. Uh, So they become sort of right-wing accelerationists, uh, which is a very interesting situation. Um, In my studies, I haven't really encountered that many uh, actual right-wing accelerationists, you know, in the sort of uh, typical communist vein of like just trying to increase unrest in the expectation that unrest will produce uh, a political situation more viable for their own ends. Um, Now, also, there have been some less explicitly political, less explicitly organized uh, groups of right-wing counter-protesters. Um, one of the most prominent uh, and most prominently featured in the news media uh, was a sort of mob of white men in a neighborhood of Philadelphia called Fishtown. Uh, this is a sort of like standard, at least historically, working-class white neighborhood in the city. Um, and in the wake of the protests uh, uh, regarding the murder of George Floyd in Philadelphia, Uh, There was a band of white men in this neighborhood uh, walking around wielding baseball bats, um, you know, crowbars, that kind of thing, uh, 
supposedly, in their words, trying to, quote, protect their neighborhood from, quote, rioters. Uh, but of course, we all know that what this means is that they perceive themselves to be vigilantes. They were taking the law into their own hands. Uh, and specifically, the law that they were taking into their own hands is one of racial discrimination. Uh, and, you know, this effectively means that what we could have expected uh, had they actually countered counter-protesters is that they would engage in the same sort of racist logic uh, that the police do, uh, that the protests are specifically regarding uh, the assumption by the police and uh, by the white supremacist power structure in the United States uh, that people of color are to be subjugated or killed uh, effectively wantonly um, and that their lives matter less than those of other people. Fortunately, these people did not encounter uh, protesters, at least not in a significant degree or in a way that uh, saw media attention. I don't claim to, you know, have my finger on the pulse of literally every uh, white supremacist, nationalist, or fascist uh, in the United States, uh, let alone the world. Uh, so if I'm wrong, please let me know. Uh, there also uh, is some clear evidence uh, elsewhere in the country that uh, another group uh, that has been featured previously in this podcast and other people who are paying attention to the right wing in the United States, the Proud Boys, uh, received some special dispensation uh, from cops in Oregon. That's right. Uh, Oregon, uh, the place where they have had the most success and some of the most clear examples of police interaction with fascists, with right wing people. Uh, there is a video that emerged the other day uh, from the city of Salem, Oregon. Uh, in which a police officer explicitly warned Proud Boys not to make uh, not to make the cops look like they were playing favorites uh, when it comes to uh, enforcing that city's uh, curfew. Uh, when the protesters, uh, when the people protesting George Floyd's murder and, subs and the subsequent police brutality and crackdown uh, had the curfew imposed upon them uh, and upon their protests, um, the Proud Boys, of course, showed up. You know presumably in an effort to incite more violence. Uh, and the cops specifically warned the Proud Boys uh, to, you know, stay indoors, stay in their cars. Uh, you know, we don't want to uh, retaliate against you, the police were saying, um, but we also don't want to make ourselves look bad, right? Now, uh, there's another example of a CPD officer, that's the Chicago Police Department, um, being investigated for involvement with or association with the Proud Boys, uh, but that investigation is ongoing. Uh, so we'll hear a little bit more about that later. A lot of other right-wing activity uh, on the internet, uh, they're doing mostly what you'd expect, um, blaming lessons for everything, uh, trying to tie the protests into the narrative that they had been developing over the last several months about China um, and, you know, pretty much explicitly, they're talking about trying to tie these protests to uh, Chinese influences and what they perceive as Jewish influences. So they're trying to connect these protests to their existing xenophobic and anti-Semitic narrative uh, that they're trying to use to uh, control US policy today. One of the other big things that happened this week is that Donald Trump threatened to designate Antifa, uh, that is, you know, a network of people who are opposed to fascism as a terrorist organization. Uh, now, the internet and the news media and many commentators quickly noted how just ridiculous this is. Uh, Antifa is not an explicit organization. 
Um, it is a network of people who are opposed to fascism and who demonstrate against it, organize against it, document it, that sort of thing. Uh, the president really can't exactly do this um, because technically the, the category terrorist organization in United States law applies to international organizations, uh, not to domestic ones. Um, and for several other reasons, this would be incredibly difficult. Uh, however, the logic behind this uh, is particularly disturbing and is something that we're going to have to be paying very close attention to um, because, uh, as you may have learned, uh, if you've been paying attention to the president, uh, he doesn't take failure lightly. And so uh, if he doesn't get his way on this, he's going to try a different avenue. Um, categorizing Antifa as subversion, uh, especially in a time when the president and his allies refer to almost all dissidents in the United States as being connected to Antifa, uh, and in their minds also therefore connected to, quote, globalists, which is, uh, as you know, a dog whistle uh, for, you know, supposed Jewish influences in the country. Uh, this allows them to connect every opposition to them uh, to supposedly violence, chaos, foreign influences, uh, effectively, we're talking about a category that hasn't really been operative in the United States recently. Um, it's something called subversion, a subversive. Um, as a historian of Latin America, uh, I am intimately familiar with this concept. Uh, subversion is the category that the South American dictatorships used to justify the dirty wars. Uh, these were a series of militarized crackdowns on any kind of opposition uh, to their military dictatorships. Um, if you've heard of Augusto Pinochet, if you've heard of the Proceso in Argentina, if you've heard of the dictatorship in Brazil, in Bolivia, in Peru, um, in Guatemala, like that's this is what we're talking about. We're talking about this category of subversive, uh, which encompassed um, potentially anybody who was not actually involved in the militarized state apparatus. Um, and we're talking about um, indigenous rights activists, we're talking about labor activists, we're talking about journalists, uh, we're talking about black rights activists, we're talking about actually organized socialists, um, and we're talking about students, uh, we're talking about teachers, uh, we're talking about people who are involved, literally just people who are involved in any sort of foreign entity at all, people who work for international companies, um, anybody, uh, who ran afoul of the powers that be uh, was potentially a subversive. And once a country starts to be organized, once its police apparatus, once its state apparatus starts to be organized around this logic, uh, sort of all bets are off, right? Anybody can become an enemy. Enemies can be treated however you want. Uh, the United States already employed this kind of logic, uh, ha has employed this kind of logic before, um, specifically the way that the uh, W. Bush administration treated Muslim Americans and residents of the United States who were practicing Islam uh, resembles this logic, right? You know, just being Muslim meant that the United States was monitoring you, uh, was detaining people, was imprisoning people, uh, was torturing people, right? Uh, and you should remember Guantanamo Bay is still open. Uh, there are people still there. Um, when this kind of logic encompasses more and more and more people, any opposition to the government, uh, that's when these categories uh, become something like the category of subversive that we saw 
uh, in South America in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. And it's a, it's a very dangerous thing. All right, the last thing that I want to talk about this week is a sort of trip down memory lane, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, um, which is just what, what fascism means. Uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, you know, in sort of more mainstream political spheres in the United States, just about, just about, you know, saying in their minds, they're saying, uh, let's call it like I see it. Donald Trump is a fascist. You know, you get people like certain commentators in the New York Times from MSNBC, uh, pulling people on CNN like Cornell West, uh, commentators like Robert Reich, uh, just saying like, hey, I haven't actually been using this word fascist to describe Donald Trump, but he is now you know, because of his uh, threats to use the Insurrection Act, um, because of this aforementioned attempt to categorize Antifa as a subversive organization uh, for a lot of other reasons, right? And, you know, I get it. I get the impulse. Uh, fascist is a really good insult. Uh, and uh, when it comes to screaming it at people during protests, you know, hey, like, go to town, go crazy. It's wonderful. Um, but as a scholar, uh, I have to, you know, add some correctives here. Um, what Donald Trump was trying to impose in the United States, and he hasn't succeeded yet, he's broadly failed this week, uh, what he wasn't trying to impose wasn't exactly fascism. Now, maybe this is a little bit antiquarian, you know, I'm just like policing the categories of my discipline, and I, I use the word policing in that context uh, intentionally. It, it, it's possible that doing this uh, isn't particularly politically helpful. Uh, and if you disagree with this impulse, please let me know. I'd love to be, you know, corrected on this one. Um, but I think it is important. Uh, fascism isn't just cops in the streets. Uh, it's not just uh, the state enforcing its racist logic. Um, because if it were, then almost every state in the world uh, could be potentially described as fascist. Uh, which would make the term not particularly politically useful. Um, and I think that it's important to have a term that means the specific thing that fascism does. It doesn't just mean oppressive. It doesn't just mean racist. It doesn't just mean police violence. It doesn't just mean state violence. It means something very specific. Uh, fascism isn't just about uh, these things. It's a, it's a political movement. It's a revolutionary right-wing political movement. And there are people in the United States who are fascist today, and that differentiates the present uh, from the kinds of political unrest and state violence and state oppression that we saw previously in U.S. history, uh, namely in the last major round of um, popular uprising in the United States uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Now there are real organized fascists in this country. Um, and there are ascendant fascist groups and political parties uh, throughout a lot of the world. Specifically, there are a lot of them in Europe. And this makes this time different uh, than previous rounds of political unrest. It, it makes it more resemble uh, something like the 1920s, 1930s, and 1940s, uh, in which there was clear partisan violence, um, partisan conflict between the right and the left, uh, as opposed to state crackdown on the left. Now, on the ground, when you are being attacked by someone uh, for protesting, for promoting justice, uh, for trying to uh, gain racial, gender, sexual equality, this 
difference doesn't seem super important. And if you're telling me that you don't care about it, I hear you. That's totally fine. Um, but I think that on a certain level, it's an important one to make this distinction. Um, fascists, much like the people who are in the street in the United States and the world and all over the world today, are trying to remake the world. You know, that's not what cops are doing. Cops are out there supposedly to enforce the status quo, right? The status quo is racially oppressive. The cops are racially oppressive. The status quo uh, promotes property rights over human personal liberties. That's what cops are trying to enforce. Uh, the status quo devalues the lives of people of color. That's what cops are trying to enforce, right? Fascists agree with a lot of those things, um, but they want to remake the state. They want a new state with new people. They want a new, much more violent, much more partisan society. Uh, and the fact that, uh, as I talked about in the previous segment in this uh, week's episode, the fact that we see the police cooperating uh, with these groups, uh, the fact that they are part of Donald Trump's electoral coalition, uh, the fact that they are getting activated by the current rounds of protests in the United States should give us some serious pause. It's very, very important um, in terms of what we can expect from the political trajectory of the United States uh, in the coming weeks, months, and years. Um, fascism isn't just a police officer uh, enforcing a racist law. Fascism is something much more like an organized, grassroots movement of people who really, truly, personally believe uh, in a radically racist reorganization of human life in a radically sexist reorganization of human life, uh, in basing our entire society around violence, the promotion of violence, and the exaltation of violent men. Uh, fascism is a specific danger that we are facing, and we need to pay close attention to it if we're going to understand it and stop it. <laughs> 